All right, Judges chapter 6. And just to set up uh, the story before, I'm going to actually begin reading verse 7 before I do that, just to set it up for the sake of time. Uh, the, the Bible says that the Israelites would, uh, did evil in the Lord's sight, and so the Lord handed them over to the Midianites. And the Midianites were a ruthless people that were oppressing uh, Israel and, and were really just, you know, attacking them and slaughtering them. And, uh, I mean, they were at a, a really desperate point in their life where uh, the, to the, on the brink of starvation. And so we get to the point in Judges chapter 6 and verse 7 where Israel begins to cry out to the Lord for help. Verse 7 says this, When they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. He said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and gave you their land. I told you, I am the Lord your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live, but you have not listened to me. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree of Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the clan of Abizar. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But the Lord, but Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Now I want you to turn with me to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 9. If you're not already there, let me get there. 1 Samuel 9, and we're going to look at Saul. Let me set this up real quick too. You know, up until this point, the book of Judges is about all the different judges that were, uh, Israel didn't have a king up until this point. They had judges that were ruling over them. And so we're getting to a point now in 1 Samuel where Samuel was a prophet, he was a judge, he was a man of God, and he was getting old in age, he was about to die. His two sons weren't uh, godly men, didn't have what it, 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 it took to, to be a, a judge in Israel. So uh, the Israelites begin to ask Samuel and say, hey, give us a king. We want a king like the nations around us. And he warned the Lord, said, look, I'm going to be your king. But he said, no, no, we know you're our king, but we want a king like the nations around us. And so uh, the Lord concedes, but tells him what his judges, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, the king is going to be like. So just to set that up, pick up the story, First Samuel 9, now that, you know, the, the Lord has given Israel a king. First Samuel 9 and verse 17 is where I'm going to begin. First Samuel 9, 17, when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said, that's the man I told you about. He will rule my people. Speaking of being the king. Just then Saul approached Samuel at the gateway and asked, can you please tell me where the seer's house is? A seer was also called a prophet in the Old Testament. I am the seer, Samuel replied. Go up to the place of worship of ahead of me. We'll eat there together. And in the morning, I will tell you what you want to know and send you on your way. Now look uh, in the second part of verse 20 says, and I am here to tell you that you and your family are the focus of all Israel's hopes. 
Verse 21, Saul replied, but I'm only from the tribe of Benjamin, the smallest tribe in Israel, and my family is the least important of all the families of that tribe. Why are you talking to me like this? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are so good to us and that, Lord, you are always on time. Lord, we thank you for your word. I thank you, Father, for a timely word and that today your word would speak, that you would speak through me to your people, Lord God, that they would be encouraged, equipped, strengthened in their faith, Lord God, that they would be moved into action, Lord, that there would be paradigm shifts, Lord God, not only in the minds but in the spirits of your children and your people today in this place, Father. I pray that you would help me, Lord God, I pray afresh all of your anointing to help me preach and teach your word in an accurate manner. We give you the glory and the honor and then we ask for you to have your way in this place In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In both these situations we just read, in both uh, the story of Gideon and of Saul, the Lord told these two men that he was going to do something great through them. And they both made excuses based upon their natural circumstances. They basically, they said almost the exact same thing. I can't do this because I'm the least person and my family's the least and smallest tribes. Almost the exact same thing. They made a natural excuse of why they couldn't do something supernatural that the Lord called them to do. You called that? They both said, my, basically, in essence, my circumstance won't allow me, Lord, to do what you call me to do. They didn't think they could be used by God because of where they came from and what family they were in and how they saw themselves. I'm here to say today that we all have a God-given purpose in life. And like these two men, we often use excuses based upon our circumstances of why we can't fulfill that purpose. Amen? Let me stop right there again and say we all have a God-given purpose in our life. Whether you know that or you believe that or not, every single one of us has a purpose. There's something that, that, that God has put us on this earth to do. And I'm going to just say, I, I said it later at the first service, but I said now. About a month ago, brother, uh, brother Mike Clark was here and he said, you know, we all have one purpose in life. Ultimately, that's to glorify God. We know that, right? Our purpose is to glorify God. But that's gonna, how we glorify God is going to look different. I'm not called to Guatemala uh, to, to, to be over an orphanage that has seen 5,000 kids or more than that. Now, what is it? How many? 5,000? 500? No, but over the course of it, it's been like thousands of kids over the course, you know, that, that they've seen. You know, he's glorifying God over there in Guatemala, overseeing an orphanage. Brother Larry Myers has glorified God and is glorifying God by planting churches all over Mexico. But, you know, I'm not called to do that. And not everybody's called to be a pastor or a missionary or a prophet. And we're going to look at that. So every single person does have a purpose. And if I, if I stopped and picked everyone's brain here, I, I would venture to say in essence, you do know that you have a purpose in life because if you're not walking in the purpose God ordained you for, there's something missing in you. And I know that because of my own life, and I'll share that with you all later. So this morning, I want to encourage you to move beyond your circumstance and into your, into your purpose. Move beyond your circumstance and move into your purpose. Move beyond excuses. You know, and even um, yesterday, I, I was I was teaching my son how to cut the grass. Yesterday was his first day on the on the the the, 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 the lawnmower. You know, going behind the self prepare lawnmower. You know, he's helped me the last couple of Sunday summers picking up sticks and stuff. You know, but yesterday I was like, you know what? You're about to be nine years old, young man. It's time to get on that lawnmower. 
It's self-propelled. You just got to press the trigger and walk behind it, you know. So I was teaching him. And, I mean, he's like his, his head's probably about where the bar is at, you know. So he's, he's walking behind it. And I'm showing him how to, you know, keep, keep the, the tire, you know, where, where the grass is cut so you can stay. And he started going off and, and whatnot. And he's like, and he tried to turn it. But, Dad, I can't. I can't keep it straight or I can't do that. And I'm like, man, there's, there's, the Bible says there's a time to hate, right? I hate that word, those two words, I can't. And as I'm thinking about that, that's just a small picture of my nine-year-old, he'll be nine next month, my nine-year-old son trying to cut the grass for the first time and him saying I can't and he was ready to give up. Well, I encouraged him and just continued to, to, to work with him and he, and he did it and he did a good job. And now I got a yard, buddy, for the rest of the summer and the rest of my life pretty much. <laughs> and so... uh uh, and, and so a lot of us do the same thing, though. God has given us a purpose. God has shown us a purpose. God has stirred up a purpose in us. But we like Gideon and Saul and say, God, we can't. I can't because of A, B, C, and D. Well, well, let me give you some A, B, Cs, and Ds real quick. Here are some circumstances and excuses that can hinder you from your purpose. Number one, your family lineage. Your family lineage. And what I'm saying by that is, you know, not that it can, but we use that as an excuse sometimes. Let's look at Gideon and Saul again. Judges 6, 14 and 15. Then the Lord told, turned to him, Gideon, turned to Gideon and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh. Now look at 1 Samuel 9, 21. Saul replied, but I'm only from the tribe of Benjamin, the smallest tribe in Israel. And my family is the least important of all the families of that tribe. Why are you talking to me like this? You know, a lot of times I've heard people, I've seen, I've heard people talk. I've seen people that, 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 uh, because of, of the, maybe the family that they're in or the way that they were brought up or because they don't come from a long line of whatever. I'm going to use myself a lot today. Is that okay? My own personal story and, and going through this process of my purpose as well. And it's all glory to God because I've struggled with a lot of these same things. But, you know, I thought that when I first became a youth pastor and I came into full-time ministry, I'd go to these conferences and, and some, of, some of these guys that were really just doing a mighty work for the Lord, really blowing it up, awesome preachers, had huge youth ministries and just, you know, preaching at conferences conferences all over the nation. And I would think like, you know, they're doing awesome. The Lord's really using them. But these two guys I have in mind, both of them were fifth generation pastors. Their dad was a pastor, grandfather was a pastor, great-grandfather, all the way down. And I mean, so it, I, it made me think like, you know what? Yeah, these guys are doing awesome, but because they're a fifth generation pastor. And well, since I'm not, I'm, I, you know, God will probably use me, but he'll probably use me somewhere down here. I probably never get to that point because I don't have the same lineage as they have. How many of y'all know that's a wrong mindset? That's a wrong mindset. Just because, you know, I don't have any, any you know, my, my dad or grandfathers or nobody was a pastor. I, 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 now I realize that's not going to limit me to what God has called me to do. Amen? I'm not going to look at that and use that as, as an Because what I did was I used that as an excuse. When things wasn't going right or I wasn't hitting the goals I wanted to, and I was, oh, yeah, probably. You know, look, and there's benefits in that. Now, let me, I'm not knocking. That's great. I know those men of God, part of why they were, they, they, they were doing what they were doing in the anointing on their life is because they had dads, grandfathers, great-grandfathers praying generational blessings over them, and, and, and it compounds. And that, that generational blessing and anointing continues on, no doubt. That's true. But at the same time, I'm not going to put God in a box, and we shouldn't put God in a box because of the family that we're in or not in. Amen? 
That doesn't matter. In the, in the scheme of things, when God is calling you to do something, it doesn't matter what family you're in or where you come from. God's going to want to use you. And he's going to, don't listen. Don't allow a super, uh, don't allow a natural circumstance, once again, hinder a supernatural calling on your life. Let me say that again. Don't allow a natural circumstance to hinder a supernatural calling, your purpose. And once again, as I go through this, I'm, when I talk about a calling, a lot of times I know people check out on me because they think, okay, well, callings like with you and Pastor Todd and Pastor Rob and Pastor Kelly with those which you guys have. Or it's with Brother Mike. And No, 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 no. We're all called to glorify God. We're all called. To, 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 and have a purpose in a life to glorify God in some form or fashion. So one, don't let the family you're in or your lineage hold you up from the purpose God has for your life. Number two, and this is probably the biggest one. Number two, the number two hindrance is your perception of yourself. Your perception of the, yourself, the way that you see yourself. Look, Judges 6.15, Gideon said, I am the least in my family. That's how he saw himself. I'm the least. Lord, I can't do this. I'm, I'm the least in my family. There's no way that, that I can do this. C.S. Lewis said this, what you see and what you hear depends a great deal on where you are standing. It all depends on what sort of person you are. In Gideon's case, he was standing in a wine press, threshing out wheat. He was hiding. So he was in a fearful state, feeling inadequate, feeling, you know, fearful, uh, you know, maybe that he was less of a man. In that state is when the Lord came and spoke to him. He had a wrong perception of himself. Maybe he got this perception of himself possibly because of his birth order or maybe things that happened to him in his family. I got a question for you. Has your upbringing or your current situation caused you to have a wrong perception of yourself? No matter how many times you hear somebody preach or how many times you read the Bible, when you look in the mirror, do you still have a, a, a tainted perception of yourself because of your circumstances or possibly because of your past, of your family, maybe just your past, you know, of, of you know, even before you got saved, even before you got saved, things that you did, you might still be ashamed of. And it, it, it's given you a tainted perspective of yourself. This will hinder you tremendously. Now let's look at Saul. 1 Samuel 15, 16 and 17. Then Samuel said to Saul, stop. Listen to what the Lord told me last night. What did he tell you? Saul asked. This was a, a little bit later uh, in, the, in the book of, of, of 1 Samuel. Samuel told Saul this. Although you may think little of yourself, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord has anointed you king of Israel. He was an anointed king of Israel, the first king of Israel. And Samuel says, you think little of yourself. He had a wrong perception of himself. He had a wrong perception. You know, and, 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 and what happens when we see ourselves, we think little of ourselves, it ultimately, right after that, it leads to insecurity. It leads to us being insecure and feeling inadequate. And, if, and I studied out the life of Saul. If you look and you, you read through and study Saul's life, I believe the Bible shows us that insecurity was one of the biggest reasons for Saul's downfall. Some of the key mistakes that he made in his life was because of insecurity. And I think it's traced back to exactly what Samuel says, wrong perception of himself. He thought little of himself. So having the wrong perception of ourselves can hinder us from the purpose God has for us. Number three, which leads also to number three, which is fear. 
Fear will keep us from fulfilling the purpose God has for us in our life. Judges 6.11 says, Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree of Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abizar. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of the winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. He was threshing out wheat at the bottom of a winepress. And you got to understand, I just want to read how the, the contrast and what he was doing and, and, and how it was so much different from how they usually did it. The small quantity of grain he was thrashing indicated by the using, using of a flail instead of the customary treading of the cattle. The unusual place near a wine press under a tree and on the bare ground, not a wooden floor for the prevention of noise, reveals the extreme dread in which the people were living in. He was, he was dead, you know, just afraid, dreadfully afraid of the Midianites. That's where he was at. That when the Lord spoke to him and told him what he was going to do, he was in a, in, a, in a state of fear. A state of fear so he couldn't see past that. Let's look at what happens at Saul whenever Saul is acclaimed uh, king. Look, 1 Samuel chapter 10 and verse 17. Flip over there with me. Remember, we're looking at both these guys' lives, so we're bouncing back and forth a little bit. 1 Samuel 10, 17. You should be uh, just a, a chapter over from there. It says, Later Samuel called all the people of Israel to meet before the Lord at Mizpah. And he said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, has declared. I brought you from Egypt and rescued you from the Egyptians and from all the nations that were opposing you. But though I have rescued you from your misery and distress, you have rejected your God today and have said, no, we want a king instead. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by tribes and clans. So Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel before the Lord, and the tribe of Benjamin was chosen by Lot. Then he brought each family of the tribe of Benjamin before the Lord, and the family of the Madrites was chosen. And finally, Saul, son of Kish, was chosen from among them. But when they looked for him, he had disappeared. So they asked the Lord, where is he? And the Lord replied, he is hiding among the baggage. So they found him and brought him out. And he stood head and shoulders above anyone else. Then Samuel said to all the people, this is the man the Lord has chosen as your king. No one in all Israel is like him. Like Gideon, Saul was hiding because he was scared. You see, the problem with fear, church, is that it causes us to be inactive. It causes us not to go forward with what God has told us to do. So when the Lord tells us to do something, we stay stationary. You know, we've all heard the term, you know, being paralyzed by fear. Some people get paralyzed by fear and physically can't move, but it might be that we're paralyzed with fear up here so we can't move into the purpose that God has ordained for us. Amen? Y'all still with me this morning? Like I said, I was going to share a little bit of my life. You know, I remember, you know, whenever uh, I was still a youth leader and I was uh, serving under uh, Kevin Richard. He was the youth pastor before me. And uh, he said, man, you need to start preaching. You need to get in there and, and, and I want you to start, uh, you know, I want you to preach. He said, I, I, want you to, I want you to preach. So I want you to pick a day, look at your calendar, pick a day, pick a Wednesday night for uh, uh, you to preach and get back to me. We're going we're gonna to see if that works. We'll put that on the calendar. Okay, cool. Sounds good. Well, I don't know, a couple of weeks went by. He came back to me and said, hey, man, did you, did you find that date? You got that date to preach on a Wednesday night? And I was like, uh, no, nah, I, didn't, I didn't get around to it yet. And so, you know, he comes, okay, man, well, go, go find, look at your calendar and tell me what, what day would work good. Well, he came back, hey, man, what day you picked yet? What day did you pick? I still hadn't picked a day. 
And he's like, okay, well, you know what? Open up your calendar. This is the day you're going to be preaching. Because you know what happened? I was scared. I ain't going to lie. If you're scared, say you're scared. I was scared, okay? I had never preached before. So I was, I, was, I was a little fearful. I mean, public speaking, I didn't know anything about public speaking. I was a painter from Bro Bridge, you know? I didn't, I didn't know anything about speaking in front of a group of people. I mean, I had a, a life group with a couple of little teenage guys, and we would do a Bible study, but to stand up in front of a room full of teenagers, you know? Man, that was a big deal. But I was scared, so it kept me from moving forward with what the Lord does. I'm so thankful for Kevin that he pushed me, and I'm going to talk about that a little bit later, that he pushed me into that and said, no, this is the day I stood up that night and, and, and you know, preached in about 15 minutes and I was done. I had about eight pages of notes and I ran through them and I was finished. And Kevin had to come bail me out. So very thankful for Kevin Richard. You know, someone said this, to live in doubt and fear is to anchor in a fog. Think about that. To live in doubt and fear is to anchor in a fog. You fishermen out there, if you, you, on, you on the water, you in a boat, and it's foggy, and you anchor right there, you, you know, and you stay right there and just like, well, we just, you know, you're anchoring, you don't know what's around you, you don't know what's coming, you don't know which way to go or anything. We don't want to anchor in a fall. We don't want to allow fear to, to put a mist over our lives, church. Amen? We want, that, we, we want to get out of that fog and see what it is that the Lord is doing and what he has for us to do. Amen? And then the last thing, the fourth thing that could keep us is baggage from our past. I love how the New Living says this in 1 Samuel 10, 21. When they couldn't find Saul, it said that he disappeared. So they asked the Lord, where is he? And the Lord replied, he is hiding among the baggage. I wonder how many of us have been hiding among the baggage of our past. Have been hiding, you know, baggage comes usually in the forms of, of hurt and wounds, things that we received in the past growing up or maybe even in, 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 in our marriages even or just circumstances currently today, things that, that begin to weigh on us. You know, speaking of baggage, I, I was talking to a lady earlier this week that was having marital problems, and, 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 and she said it almost kind of shamefully. She said, you know, I've, we, we've both carried a lot of baggage into, into our marriage. And I said, hey, look, we, ha- we all have, right? How many marriage folks we got in here that could, 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 could uh, attest to that? Did you go into your marriage and you was perfect, squeaky clean, and had it all together? No? Okay, good. Me neither. But I told her, I said, pretty much everybody comes into a marriage with some form of baggage. This is the deal, though. We have to allow the Lord to open up that baggage, so to speak, and heal us from those past wounds. We can't hide behind them. See, it's easy to hide behind those wounds and make that an excuse and say, no, Lord, there's no way I can do that because of this, this, and that. You know, I'm hurt. I'm scared. I'm wounded. I can't do that. No, we got to allow the Lord to say, look, Lord, do what you want to do. Do what you want to do in our life. Remember, the Lord always knows where you're at. I thought this was, this was cool. The people couldn't find Saul. They couldn't locate Saul. They said, where is he? But the Lord knew exactly where he was. I want to encourage you today, the Lord knows exactly where you are today. He knows exactly where you're at. He knows exactly every bit of pain that you felt, that you're feeling, any baggage that you think you might have or that you know you have, you know. And that's just it. You know, speaking of, of marriages, you know, think about that. It's like, you know, a lot of times our baggage don't show up to our spouse to maybe a couple of years down the road. But, you know, the Lord knows exactly what you're taking in there, right? He knows what kind of baggage you got before you get on the plane. Amen? 
And so, but we need to allow the Lord to say, hey, look, Lord, here I am. I don't, I know you have something for me to do. I know I have a purpose. I sense that there's a purpose. I sense there's more for me in this life. Lord, what is it? I don't want to hide behind my pain, my shame, my guilt, my baggage anymore. Amen? All right, there are three main ingredients that will help you to find and fulfill your purpose. Three main ingredients that will help you to find and fulfill your purpose. Whether you say, Brandon, you've been talking about purpose. I have no idea what my purpose is. That's okay. Or whether you, you know what your purpose is and you haven't been doing it, maybe because of one of these four things we talked about. But the first thing, the first main thing is the word of the Lord. I know we go back to this a lot. We go back to uh, the Bible and reading the Bible. But this is twofold. I want to look at it two ways. The, the, the Logos, which is the written word of God, and the Rhema, which is the spoken word of God. Like As you see in Gideon's life, we're going to see he, had, he got a Rhema from the angel of the Lord. The, the Lord spoke to him. Because you see, when you get a, a Rhema, you read the word and something's highlighted to you. Something, something's written like, like that, what I'm about to read, spoke to me uh, often and still does when I read it. See, the word will help you to see yourself as God sees you. See, remember we talked about the first thing or the second thing is that you get a wrong perception of yourself. You need to see how God sees you. And when you get into the word, you, you get a word from the Lord and that will show you how the Lord sees you. Look at Judges 6, 12 in the New King James. And I love the way this translation says it. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him, to Gideon, and said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. I love that. The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. What, what mighty man did, was he, did he see? This guy was hiding in the wine press, pressing out, threshing out grain. And then he said about himself, I'm the least in my family. That's how he saw himself. But the Lord said, you're a mighty man. Matter of fact, you're a mighty man of valor. It was awesome. The angel pointed to Gideon's potential as a mighty deliverer through the Lord's enabling power, as well as his noble status in the community, in spite of Gideon's disclaimer in verse 15, saying, I'm the least of my family. You mighty man of valor. I love that. As you can tell, that, that encourages me even as I say it, as I read it. You know, the word of the Lord, when you get a word like that, when you read the word and something's highlighted to you, you start looking at yourself the way God sees it. No more did you think, oh, I'm just a, a peon and, you know, I'm leasing my family and this, that, and the other and, and whatnot. You start seeing yourself as God sees you. One that you beloved, that you're forgiven, that you're accepted. And then he begins to show you, you mighty man of God. I want to say that today. You're a mighty man of God. You're a mighty woman of God. Some of y'all have never seen yourself as that, but I want to speak that over you today. You're a mighty man of God and a mighty woman of God in Jesus' name. Some of y'all need to get that today and need to hear that. You know, speaking of a rhema word, you know, we talk about the written word, the logos that we read, and you can get a rhema word from there, or you can have someone speak a word. God will speak through you, to you, through another man or woman of God. Maybe, I mean, God can speak through you, maybe through a dream or something. I can remember going back to where I was still a youth leader, and and I felt God was calling me to pastor. I felt like my purpose in life was going to be pastoring. One of the things, pastoring, and I got a heart for missions, love doing, going on mission trips, but I was still, you know, like, ah, I think this is God, or is I'm just thinking, like, when I see Pastor Todd up there, like, it looks pretty cool. I'd want to do that one day. I mean, is that God calling me? Is that, you know, you're still going back and forth. So I went to this youth conference at another church uh, uh, one weekend, and the, we were sitting there, so it was a room full of uh, teenage students, youth pastors, youth leaders, and uh, the man of God that was, that was speaking that day, um, he had told everybody to stand up. And he, I think he had said, I, I, now I'm speaking. I want to speak to all the youth pastors. 
He said, I'm speaking to you, youth pastor. And I, I don't know, I think I like turned around or something. And when I looked back, he said, no, I'm talking to you. You're a youth pastor, right? And I was like, no, I'm a youth leader. He's like, I know you're a leader, but you're a youth pastor too. And I, t- to me, that was my rhema word. That was confirmation. That was my mighty man of valor. And I tell you what, I, I, I've never before almost like fell out from somebody just speaking a word to me. Didn't even touch me. He was across the room because I knew it was God's confirmation. It was God's rhema word to me. It was, it was how God saw me. If I was debating, that man was from Chicago or something, never saw me, never met me before, didn't know who I was. And he pointed me out out of a room full of people to tell me that. How many of y'all knew that was a word from the Lord? That was a word from the Lord. Amen. And the Lord wants to speak to you the same way. So the word will help you see yourself as the Lord sees you. The next thing is that the Lord commissions us through his word. Through his written word, the Lord commissions us. Look, Judges 6, 14. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. He's sending him on a mission to deliver Israel from the Midianites. Go. Does that sound familiar? Matthew 28, 18 and 20, Jesus said, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been giving all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. As I've been talking this morning or now this afternoon about purpose and your purpose, you might be thinking, well, man, I don't know mine. Well, are you a disciple today? Are you a disciple of Christ? This right here shows you your purpose is to go and make him known. Amen? As brother, as brother Mike said, to glorify him, what greater way to glorify the Lord than to tell people about him, to, to lead people to him, to, to help people to know him, than to serve people. Now, like I said, that's our main purpose. But it looks different in how we do that. In, in every different life, different facet is going to look different. It may look different, but it's the same mission. So the Lord commissions us through his word, just as he commissioned both Gideon and Samuel. And the third thing about the word is that the word prepares and equips us for our purpose. Man, how can I ever do this? How will I do that? How will, how, you know, be a youth pastor? Man, I can't, I'm, I'm not even I, this, that, and the other. I went through all those excuses. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Amen. The Lord uses his word to equip and prepare us for every good work. And as I'm just sitting here, as I'm, I keep talking about my days as a youth pastor, see, at the time when that, when that pastor uh, spoke that, or the Lord spoke that over me and said, yeah, but you're a youth pastor too. Okay, I confirmed that God called me to be a youth pastor. But I couldn't see past being a youth pastor. It wasn't until years as I kept going and going that the Lord confirmed that he called me to pastor. I know that I'm going to pastor the rest of my life. I know that this is what the Lord has called me to do. There's no doubt in my mind anymore what my purpose in life is. And if you're not sure, you can know beyond the shadow of a doubt what your purpose is too. I understand. It takes time. Sometimes it takes time. You're not sure. You might think you know, but you don't. It takes time. But I'm telling you. This will help you get there a lot faster. It'll help you get there a lot faster. Daily when you're in the word, reading the word, the Lord will speak to you and begin to quicken you. Then you, you, know, you get stirred up for certain things. Maybe it's serving, maybe it's helping, maybe it's missions, whatever the case may be. So number one ingredient is the word of the Lord. Number two 
is the presence of the Lord. The presence of the Lord. His presence ensures that he's with us. When you are going and living out your purpose in Christ, his presence ensures that he's there with us. Look, Judges 6, 16. The Lord said to Gideon, I will be with you and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Matthew 28, 19, again, Jesus said, Therefore go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. It's much easier doing what God has told us to do whenever you know he's going to be right there with you every step of the way. Amen? Let me say that again. It's much easier to do what the Lord has told you to do when you know he's going to be right there with you. You know, speaking of, of, of me preaching, you know, I would go back and forth and I would get discouraged maybe after a night when I preach or after something didn't go right. But almost every time I would get up to, to, to minister, there were times, and not every time, sometimes I just felt like I bombed or felt like I said some, some things that, I, you know, shouldn't have said and, and all that. And we still go through all that. But you know, so many times the Lord would come through while I was preaching and he would give me something. I'd say something that I knew was not from me. I hadn't thought about it. I hadn't wrote it in my notes, but the Lord just gave me something. I was like, man, there's been times literally where I mean, I remember I started saying something and I'm like, oh my gosh, Brandon, where are you going with this? And it just came out and it came out good. And I was like, yes, thank you, Lord. But I know it was from the Lord. And, and, and when it was good, I knew it was the Lord because I'm not that good. I will tell you that. And so the, but the Lord was doing that to confirm to me. Every time I, after preaching, I'd get down and he would show me, you see, I'm right there with you. I'm going to help you. I'm, and he, he confirmed the purpose in my life by being with me every step of the way. Every new thing that, I, that I've done or that I, ha, that, I, that I do now, my first wedding, my first funeral, all those things that I was super nervous about and still things about first you know, funeral or when somebody died or whatever it was that I was really nervous, the Lord always came through, showed me he's right there with me. And it ain't just me. He's right there with you too. Whatever he calls you to do, whatever your purpose is, he's going to show you. I keep talking about purpose. Let me, let me say this. Like I said at the beginning, a lot of times people, you know, think your purpose, calling. Well, yeah, you're a pastor and they're missionaries and prophets and all that. But your calling and your purpose, it, once again, it's not just, just full-time ministry. I got a good glimpse of this uh, just actually just last week. There's a man sitting in this, in this room right now. That, that, that came and helped at my mom's house, built some steps and some handrails for a little house that, that we're building. And as, I, as we were working, as we were working together, we kept, you know, I kept, you know, me being, I was a painter, but never was a, a carpenter. So I, I'm, I'm making rookie mistakes, not reading the tape measure right and all this kind of stuff. And I kept saying, man, I'm sorry, this, that, and the other. And, and he kept going back to, he knows that this is what God's gift him to do. He's an excellent carpenter. And he knows this is what God's gift him to do. Matter of fact, he took his day off on Good Friday to come, come help us out, to, or to come do it. I was helping him out. And, and he said, he even told his boss, his boss said, hey, what are you going to be doing tomorrow on your day off? He said, man, I'm going to put in some time. But he continued to reiterate to me when I thank him, man, I thank you so much for doing this. He kept reiterating, you know, this is, I can't take credit for this. God has gifted me with this, and this is how I am giving back. He knew, he knows that his purpose is to help others with the craft and the gift that God has given them. So let me, let me say this. Does the carpenter that, that, that's, that's helping people out that maybe can't afford it or a widow build a house, is, is his reward going to be any less than me that's preaching? Not at all. Matter of fact, I truly believe that his reward is going to be greater than mine for him helping out a widow. Amen? 
That's his purpose. That's his calling. He understands that. I had my aunt and uncle here at the first service there in from out of town, and, and, and he's a successful businessman in Dallas. And you know what? I believe he has the gift of giving. His gift is giving. He's been extremely blessed, but he's blessed so many others. He's blessed my family personally. He's helped out so many people. You know what? If you're a businessman, guess what? That's your calling. That's your purpose is to help people, is to fund the kingdom of God, is to help send the message around the globe where other people maybe can't afford to do, you can. Amen? Are y'all following me? So I just want to give a couple examples of what our gifting and what our callings, they're all going to look different, but they're all just as significant in the kingdom of God. Amen? All right. That was just a side note. His presence not only ensures that he's always with us, his presence changes us. And this is what's crucial. His presence changes us. Listen to what Samuel told Saul, 1 Samuel 10, 6, and 7. At that time, the Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, and you will prophesy with them. You will be changed into a different person. After these signs take place, do what must be done, for God is with you. There you go, ensuring his, his, his presence again. The Spirit of the Lord will change you from what you were to what God desires you to be. Then you can do all that God has destined for you to do. You see, we talked about having the baggage, seeing ourselves in the wrong light, you know, having fear. It's in the presence of the Lord where you begin to get changed, where your heart gets changed, where you're hurt and broken and wounded. Guess what? God begins to change you. Where you have the wrong mindset and perception of yourself, God begins to change you. It's in the presence of the Lord where fear is broken and there comes healing. Amen? 1 Samuel 10, 9 and 10 says this, as, Samuel, as Saul turned and started to leave, God gave him a new heart, and all of Samuel's signs were fulfilled that day. You see, our hearts get hard and blackened and hurt and cut and bleed from living this life, from maybe a rough past we had. But I believe that the Lord will give you a new heart. This is not exclusive to Saul, Amen. I believe you give him a new heart. In Psalms 97.5, one of my favorite verses, the mountains melt like wax at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the Lord of all the hurt. Your fear, your hurt, your perception of yourself has been a mountain in your life. And that thing needs to get melted in the presence of God. No longer does that mountain of whatever this is, the baggage in your life, that mountain of baggage you might have, no more does it need to hinder you or cause you to, know, to walk in your presence to walk in your purpose, the Lord's presence can, can melt it away like wax. Amen? And then number three, and the final thing, not only do you need the word of the Lord and the presence of the Lord, but you need people to help draw it out and to help you live it out. I'm talking about your purpose. You need people to help draw your purpose out, and then once you know what your purpose is, to help walk it out. Amen? Both uh, uh, Samuel was this with Saul. Samuel 10.1. Then Samuel took a flask of olive oil and poured it over Saul's head. He kissed Saul and said, I am doing this because the Lord has appointed you to be the ruler over Israel, his special possession. You know, I didn't read that part of the story. Whenever Saul found out he was going to be king of Israel, he was in search of a couple of donkeys. His dad had lost some donkeys and he sent his son, hey, go find those donkeys for me. And through all of that is when the Lord, and I, like I said, for time's sake, you can read that, the whole story yourself in 1 Samuel. He was on his way to find donkeys on his way back. He found out he's going to be king. See, that's what the Lord can do because he had somebody, Samuel, the man of God, a mentor in his life, a father figure in his life to start drawing it out of him. This is what the Lord has shown me. This is what the Lord wants to do in your life. Paul did this with Timothy. This is another great example. 
First Timothy 6, 9, Paul tells him, but you, Timothy, are a man of God. He starts drawing out, and I mean, I know Timothy was already a young pastor when this was written, but still, you know Paul was with Timothy all along the way. Maybe when Timothy didn't know he was going to be a pastor, and even when he was, he kept reiterating, you're a man of God, Timothy. 2 Timothy 1, 5 and 6, Paul says, I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that was first filled, that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. He continues to draw that gift out and helps him develop that gift. And Paul's continuing to to remind him and encourage him. Once again, in my life, I can remember about two to three months after I got saved, the youth pastor at the time that was here, I was standing in that foyer. He walked up to me and he said, hey, man, when are you going to become a mighty leader? And I was like, who? Me? He's like, yeah, when you can become a mighty leader. I was like, dude, I just got saved. I, I, I haven't even probably read two whole books of the Bible yet. You know, I don't know. I was like, how am I going to become a leader? And he said, that, none of that matters. And he began to draw out the, 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 the leadership in me that the Lord, one of the purposes the Lord had for me. Speaking of Kevin Richard, the youth pastor before me, that helped me once again, you know, me preaching. He's the one that drew that out of me and then helped me. Once again, he picked the day for me. If it wasn't it, it, for Kevin, I probably still would be waiting on that day for my first day to preach. So he drew that out of me, but then he began to help me to develop it too. First few times I preached, he would sit down with me and help me with an outline. And, and I'm so thankful for these men of God. And then Pastor Todd today is still helping me to live it out. The fact that Pastor Todd allows me to be in the pulpit while he's not here, that's helping me to continue to live out my purpose. Amen? Amen. You need someone or some people like that in your life. That can help draw the purpose in you and then help you to live it out. So in closing, if any of these things I've talked about today has hindered you, and you, let's start with just say, you might know your purpose. You may know, you might have been stirred up and know what the Lord wants you to do with your life or in your life through whatever job you have or whatever, but you haven't done it because of these excuses. You're like, well, Brandon, you know, I missed the boat, man. God told me years ago to go on this mission trip, and I didn't go. I disobeyed. Or God told me to do this internship when I was in, in, in high school and college, and I missed it. You know what? It's, it's too late, man. I missed what God told me to do. Guess what? It's not too late. Romans eleven twenty nine says this. For God's gifts and his call can never be withdrawn. Read that again. God's gifts and his call can never be withdrawn. Whatever purpose God has called you to, whether you haven't done it or not, it's still in there. He hasn't taken away the gifting that he's given you. Like I said, some of people are gifted carpenters. Some are gifted businessmen. Some are gifted plumbers. Some are gifted musicians. Some are gifted at preaching and prophesying or whatever, hospitality, serving, cooking, all that kind of stuff. Whatever God has gifted you to do, it's not too late. It's just time to obey. Amen? You see, because even though both Gideon and Saul had these hindrances, the Lord still used them. The story in Judges goes on that the Lord used Gideon in a supernatural way to deliver the, the, the Israelites from the Midianites. With 300 men and they did it. It's an awesome story. I encourage you to, to read it if you never have. And with Saul, he used Saul to win a couple of, of, of battles. But then Saul, through a series of bad decisions, ended up you know, falling away. And, and, and then we see David come into the picture. But God still used them. Initially, they let their circumstance hinder them from their purpose. But because they got past all these things, God was able to still use them. So I believe there's three types of people in this room today. 
Number one, you, have, you don't know what your purpose is. As I've been talking, you're saying, yeah, but Brandon, what, I don't know what's my purpose. I don't know what my purpose is. Well, there's a few ways to find out. Continue to pray. Continue to seek the word. Get around other people. If you're not in a life group, get in a life group. If you don't have a mentor in your life, get a mentor. Get someone around you. Come talk to one of the pastors and just, just do you be, what's burning in your heart? What's the things you desire to do? That's how it started for me. I can remember sitting right there in the back and watching Pastor Todd, listening to him preach. And the first, it was just a simple thought. Man, I think I would want to do that one day. It started with that. And then, you know, years later, I just dismissed it like, yeah, that probably was cool because, you know. But it started there. Back there, the Lord dropped something in me that day. You know, so what, what burns when you hear about missions, when you hear about serving or helping or building or, you know, helping out widows or going to see orphans or what is it? Or just serving, cooking meals behind the scenes that would bless a ministry like Family Life or, you know, we went Friday for the block party. Uh, you know, Terza Bork and uh, myself and, and some of the, the college group, you know, we went help out over there and, you know, man, we needed people just to, you know, stuff hot dogs and wrap them up and hand out chips and drinks to love on the families and the kids at that neighborhood. It might be that you just, your gifting is serving and your purpose to glorify God is, is, is in what you're good at. What is your heart burned from? If you don't know your purpose, the Lord will help you if you begin to seek out what that is. But I'll say this, you won't ever know your purpose until you first give your life to Christ. If you're not born again, that's the first step. You must be born again. A lot of y'all have heard my testimony. And, and one of the, so a lot of reasons I came to the Lord were I was addicted to drugs, alcohol. I was depressed, all this kind of stuff. I didn't, but you know, but I, I knew I was going to hell. I wanted to be in heaven in eternity. I wanted to have peace and joy in my life. But you know, one of the main reasons that the main things that drew me to the Lord and, and, and helped me to just make the decision is because I didn't know what my purpose was. And it was killing me. I knew inside that there was something greater for me to do. Nothing wrong with being a blue-collar worker and painting. If God didn't call me, I'd still be a painter right now, and I still enjoy doing it, painting my mom's house. I I enjoy working with my hands. But inside of me, I knew there was something more. Because at the time, even I was just painting to get a check. I wasn't trying to help nobody out. But I knew there was more. For me, I knew there was more. And you know what? When I got saved, when I began to seek the Lord, when brings me back to where I'm at today, Like I said, there's nothing that can convince me otherwise that I'm not doing what God has called me to do, what my purpose is. So you need to get saved first and foremost. If you've never given your life to Christ, you need to repent of your sins, ask the Lord to forgive you, and ask him to come into your life. When we close in a few minutes, I'll have you come down to the altar if you would like to pray with me or one of the pastors. That's the first group of people. You don't know what your purpose is, whether you're saved or you haven't made a decision yet. Second group of people is that you know what your purpose, purpose is. You know what God has placed you to do. You know what God's been telling you to do, what he wants you to do, but you haven't been doing it, or maybe you've never done it. Because maybe one of the four things we talked about, the hindrances of maybe because of family or your, your bloodline or because of your hurts, your fears, your baggage, the way you see yourself. How do you perceive yourself? Do you see yourself as a mighty man or mighty woman of God? Do you know that the Lord is with you? If you don't know that, you're probably not doing your purpose if that's what's hindering you from your purpose. I want to encourage you, if you know what the Lord is calling you to do, what he wants you to do, don't delay anymore. Get healing. Get delivered. See how the Lord sees you. Get the right perspective. Get that rain of word. We'll pray for you this morning. And the third group of people in here is you know your purpose and you're doing it. And I want to encourage you, keep doing what you're doing. Keep on keeping on. Amen? Everybody stand up with me.
Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm going to dismiss you on just a minute. I know I went a little over and I apologize for that. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you say, Brandon, I don't, I, I don't know my purpose first and foremost because I don't even know if I'm right with, with, with the Lord. If I died tonight, I don't know where I would spend eternity. If that's you tonight, you say, man, I need to get my life right with Christ. I know there's more. I feel a stirring in me. I know I need to get right. I want to give my life to Christ. I want to repent of my sins. If that's you, just slip up your hands. Slip up your hand if that's you today. I see your hand, young man. Anybody else? Anyone else? I see your hand over here. Amen. Anybody else? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Come on, you, you, you gentlemen that have just raised your hands, come on, let's, I want, let's pray together. If you believe in your heart, the Bible says, and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. So if you believe that, you believe this prayer, I'm just going to lead you in a simple prayer that, that you pray, the Bible says that you will be saved. Just repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus. Come on, let's all pray together. Lord Jesus. I know that I'm a sinner. I'd ask that you would forgive me of my sins. Lord, thank you for dying for me. Lord, I pray that you'd save me today. Set me free. Lord, show me what my purpose is in life. That I may live for you and glorify you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen.